0: The Bible reading tonight is from Micah 6, verses 1 to 8. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted, and what Balan, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, to act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Well, good evening, everyone.
1: Uh, My name is Matty, and I've got the pleasure of preaching to us tonight, so I'm just going to pray, uh, and then we'll get stuck into it. So please join with me as I pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we thank you for your goodness and for your mercy. Lord God, we thank you for the chance we have to meet and be reminded of the way in which you love and care for us, your compassion for us. Please help me as I speak to speak your words and please help all of us to have open hearts and minds to your words and to leave tonight obedient to the convictions that you, through your spirit, place in our hearts. Amen. Amen. Like I said, my name's Matty. I'm the student minister here. Uh, And if you're new or uh, visiting, I just want to extend a special welcome. It's great to see you. Now, I don't know about you, but it's Christmas time. It's just around the corner, a couple of days away. I can't believe how close it is. And Christmas time is an interesting time. Some people might love it. I'm one of those people. I love getting presents. It's exciting, fantastic. Other people might not. Uh, They just can't wait for it to be over because of the busyness of the period, they just want it to end so that they can rest. But wherever you arrive at your thoughts at Christmas, I want us to think tonight firstly about Christmas presents. I want you to think about the best Christmas present you've ever got, and then I want you to contrast that with thinking about the worst Christmas present you've ever got. I've been thinking about this as I've been preparing, and Often the bad presents we get, I think, are a result of misunderstandings, of miscommunication. Uh, Somewhere somewhere along the line, uh, something has happened uh, and someone hasn't understood what the present is, either giving uh, or receiving. The worst presents are often because of a misunderstanding. Now I don't think this is isolated to Christmas, I think uh, in the world that we live in there's heaps of places where it's difficult to understand what's going on and one of the biggest places where I see these misunderstandings happen or it's difficult to understand what something means are road signs. So I want us to have a look at the screen and if you can help me figure out uh, what the one coming up means. Hopefully that's going to change Sammy. Uh, this road sign, I'm not sure what it means, but it, it seems to be warning uh, farmers driving trappers that there might be someone chasing after them that's going to eat them. And if you're driving through, be careful because that could be you. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on there, but it's a difficult thing to understand. I'll give this a go, Sammy. Hopefully it works. Now, if you could go to the next slide. Uh, this one, I, I literally have no idea what you're supposed to do. I think you come to the stop then you can't go left, right, forwards or backwards. You can't do anything. You've just got to stay there for eternity. You're stuck there. If we go to the next one. Uh, This one seems to be warning us of uh, horse-sized ducks being ridden by little people. And if you're driving, be aware of them because they could come out and get you. And in case you're wondering, this is in New Zealand, of course. That's where that's going to happen. Now, the next one isn't a road sign, but it does highlight the importance of reading what a bottle says. This extravagant uh, bottle of olive oil has been mistaken by someone as alcohol. So you've you just got to be careful with what the bottle says before you choose to do anything with it. Now, before we go to the next one, uh, I want to I frame this before we get there. Uh, thanks, Miles. Beautiful. Uh, the next one is... A car insurance quote, so a lady has had a car accident, and she's contacting the insurance company, and she's asking uh, about what needs to be done, and they've communicated to her, you need to send us a picture of the front, rear, side, and back, and this is what she did. I don't know if you can see that, but she sent a picture of herself, of her front, back, rear, and side, and then... um, You might not be able to read that, but basically what it says is she's communicating to Eva, the insurance rep, this feels a bit weird, and she says, Susan, thanks, the pictures are lovely, uh, but we need your vehicle. We need to see the pictures of your vehicle. Uh, In the world that we live in, uh, misunderstandings are easy to happen. And sometimes when we misunderstand something, the consequences are lighthearted. They're not too intense. They're not too serious, but sometimes, when we misunderstand something, the consequences can be more serious, like in 1977, when two Boeing 747 jets collided in Canary Island, because of a misunderstanding between an air traffic controller and a pilot. Misunderstanding something can have serious consequences. And tonight we're going to be striving to understand together what God wants from us at Christmas. What does God want from us at Christmas? And the passage that we're looking at, Micah 6, gives us insight, a beautiful insight into this because we see Israel misunderstanding what God requires from them. And tonight we have a chance to learn from their mistake and not make the same mistake. The context in which Micah is written to, uh, we see in Micah 1 that he's active in the southern kingdom of Judah below Israel, and he's active during the reigns of three kings, uh, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. What we see here is God bringing a charge against Israel. Listen to what the Lord says, Micah 6.1, stand up, plead my case before the mountains Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. I wonder if you can notice the courtroom type language that we see here. The Lord's lodging a charge against Israel, an accusation. And so the obvious question is why? Why is God bringing a charge against them? Well, the book of Micah helps us understand this. We see in Micah 1.5 that all of this, this accusation and this charge, is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. And if you read through Micah, you see throughout Micah 1, 2 and 3 the depth of the depravity in which Israel has gone to how they've broken the covenant promises which they made to God. But one of the factors behind the rebelliousness in Micah 3 we see is their leaders. Why has Israel rebelled against God? Well, firstly, one of the factors is that their leaders have not led them well. Micah 3, 1-2, listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice, you who hate good and love Evil. It's a really sad picture, isn't it? Those with power and influence are using it to hurt instead of help God's people. And sadly, we see this far too often in our world. Uh, in, In the broader world, we see it in America at the moment, Donald Trump with the impeachment inquiry going on over there. But the church isn't protected against this, sadly far too often we hear of leaders in the church abusing their power, authority and influence. It breaks our heart. It breaks my heart. As I've been writing this sermon, one of the things that's really stood out to me is just how blessed we are here at Fig Tree... To have leaders who strive to say no to the temptation to abuse in their power. We have leaders here at Fig Tree who genuinely desire to faithfully serve God. And that's an incredible blessing. It's given me a greater sense of appreciation of them. And I've had the, the pleasure and privilege of two years with them. And I've seen them day in through different times faithfully desiring to serve our God faithfully standing against the temptation to abuse their power and influence. ministry can be tough. It's incredibly rewarding, but it can be tough and tiring. And I just want to encourage us to pray for our leaders, to realise how blessed we are of them, to have them, and to pray for them. We can support them in that way. Well, next we see God ask what He has done to cause Israel to rebel against Him, and we see this from verses three to five. It's interesting how God presents His evidence, and the Lord questions why Israel have rebelled against Him. Look with it there uh, in verse three: My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. It's interesting, he raises an accusation, how have I burdened you, O Israel, but then he highlights not how Israel have been unfaithful, but how he, the Lord God, has been faithful. He highlights how he's kept his covenant, the covenant he made with them. I don't know about you, but um, covenant language isn't something that we use heaps in the world today. Uh, we use it in churches uh, a bit, but, but not, even not heaps around churches. So in our day and age, I think the way in which I find helpful to understand covenant is marriage. Uh, it's a picture of two people making promises to each other. And I want us to, to try to capture the weight of this. I want us to imagine a devastated husband or wife who has faithfully loved their partner. I want you to imagine the hurt, shock, pain, and anguish when they discover their partner's betrayal. Imagine the hurt that they would feel. This gives us an insight into the pain in which God, the betrayal, in which God is experiencing. I wonder if you can imagine the faithful partner reminding the unfaithful one, why have you done this? Why have you turned your back on me? I've been loving, kind, supportive, generous. I've built you up. I've loved you. I've cared for you. I've been faithful. This is exactly what God does. He outlines all he has done and he pleads with them. Remember. Remember who I am. Remember how I took you out of Egypt, how I gave you leaders, Moses, Aaron, Miriam, how I saved you from other nations' kings, how I brought you into the promised land. And I need to remember... Because they've forgotten. And we looked before to one factor why they've forgotten. Bad leadership, yes, but that's a cop-out. They're responsible for their behaviour. It's been clearly outlined that they've broken the promise that they've made to God. Before they entered the promised land, uh, they were warned about the danger of forgetting God and his goodness. Deuteronomy 4.23 Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Deuteronomy 4.9 Pay very careful attention lest you forget the things you have seen and disregard them for the rest of your life. Instead, teach them to your children. And grandchildren remind each other of what God has done and how he has worked through us, saved us. They've forgotten what God has done. And God says, remember. Remember me. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm incredibly forgetful. I forget stuff all the time. Last week, uh, I got to work, forgot my keys. I went out shopping uh, and forgot something Jazz wanted. And if Jazz asks me for something when I go shopping, if it's not written down, it's all over. There's no chance that I'm getting that. I'm incredibly, incredibly forgetful. And it's easy to forget, I think. It takes uh, discipline and intentionality to remember. I need to write it down. Uh, And it's the same with my relationship with God. If I'm not disciplined about reflecting on who he is, and what he has done and how he has worked in my life, it's easy for me to forget things that I've learned. It's no wonder Israel is so far off track. They've forgotten talking to each other, reminding each other about who God is and what he has done. It's easy to look at Israel and go, you guys suck, you guys got it so wrong. How could you get it so wrong? It's a wrong attitude to have. It's easy, but it's the wrong attitude to have. Israel shows a temptation that exists for all of us. To be so caught up in the temptation and distractions of the world, to be so preoccupied with them, that we forget God. We forget what he's done for us and what what he desires to do through us. But I encourage us to be intentional about remembering to talk to each other about who God is and what he's doing in your life. Parents, teach your children. Make it a natural part of home life to talk about God and what he's doing. However old you are, talk to your friends. Make it part of normal culture. This is what God's been doing And this is how he's been working and changing me. Be intentional about talking to your Christian friends about what God is doing, what he is teaching you. Don't limit it to your Christian friends. Share what God is doing with each other. Not bombarding, but being real and authentic about the faith that we have and about the God who is so merciful and kind to us and changes us. Remind each other about the gospel. And a practical way that I find really helpful to do this is journal. I journal. I'm not great at it. uh, I forget often to do it, but I try to be disciplined to do it. And can I just say that some of the most beautiful moments in reflecting and remembering on what God has done in my life have been looking back on journals, journal entries. And often it's times in journal entries where I'm hurting or things are difficult and I don't understand what God's doing and I can look back and see how he's worked and how he's changing me in my life. I can remember what God has done. They're beautiful moments of reflection. You don't need to journal, but can I encourage you to think about how do you remind and remember what God has done and what he is doing in your life? Well, point three we see how the people respond in verses six to seven. And here we see the depth of Israel's misunderstanding. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Sacrifices, which is what they're talking about here, were enabling a way in which they could repent, how they could come to God and say sorry for the sin that they had committed. But I wonder if you can hear the sarcasm in their voice. And their sarcasm is in response to God's question in verse 3. How have I burdened you? Will Israel now reply, this is how you've burdened us, God. I feel burdened in giving sacrifices. The increase in value and progression in the sacrifices is suggesting no matter what we do, we can't appease you, God. We're just giving you stuff. The thing is that they've completely missed the point. They think the more extravagant the sacrifice, the more likely God will be pleased with them. Completely missed the point. God isn't interested in the extravagance of their sacrifice. He's interested in their hearts. He wants them to genuinely follow him, not try to impress him and earn his approval, not do what they want and then have a sacrifice. He wants them to genuinely follow him. What does God require from us? He's not interested in the extravagance of their sacrifices. He's interested in their hearts. And we see this in God's response. It's exactly what he tells them in verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What God required from Israel was their devotion to him. He wanted them to love him with all their heart, soul and mind. he didn't want extravagant external sacrifices when their hearts were in the wrong place. And it's what God wants for us too. He wants us to have eyes only for him, to not be distracted by stuff, in this world and instead be focused on him. And when Israel are devoted to him, when their hearts are genuine, the incredible thing is they will act justly, love mercy and walk humbly with their God. Why? Because they reflect the image of God. They reflect the way God desires them to live. So, what does it mean to act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with our God? Well, justice is ensuring that all are cared for fairly. The context uh, that this is being spoken into is in the covenant community, that people are looked after well, for them and us to have a strong sense under God of what is right and what is wrong and to care for each other, to protect the innocent. And this is so strong because what's happening in the book of Micah is Israel is ripe with injustice. They're rebelling significantly. And God desires us to act justly, not in this community here at Fig Tree, but just like Israel, where God's representatives to the world, whatever sphere of influence we have, to act justly in that. Love and mercy is a loving kindness to care for the vulnerable in their community, those who are less fortunate, but also to show love and mercy to each other in their daily interactions. And again, we too are called to show compassion and mercy, not only in this community, but in our wider, broader community. And walking humbly with God highlighting just being absolutely dependent on him. And again, it's a description of a heart attitude towards him. Acknowledging, God, I need your help. Help me. We started by talking about misunderstandings. and Tonight we've seen that Israel misunderstood what God required from them. They thought it was all about giving a sacrifice every now and then and then living however they wanted. They didn't understand. They missed the point that it doesn't matter how extravagant their external act of religious service was. What matters to God is a heart devoted to him. What about you? I wonder if you've misunderstood what God requires of you this Christmas. Maybe you think it's all about external service, or maybe you think that you don't need to be devoted to God, you can live however you want. Throw up a prayer every now and then, and it's all good. Well, if that's you tonight, can I encourage you to be really careful? It's a dangerous game you're playing. Let's learn from Israel's mistakes and ask God for help to genuinely follow him, to have hearts that are devoted to him, to have hearts that are so captured by the goodness of his mercy and grace that we might be devoted followers that strive to live for him. We won't get it right all the time. We'll make mistakes. But having a heart that genuinely desires to serve God, means that when we get it wrong, we're repentant, we acknowledge that. We say sorry, not as a get-out-of-jail-free card, but as an honest action motivated from a heart that is devoted to loving and serving God. And if you're struggling with stuff tonight, maybe going, man, I don't know where I'm with God at the moment. Be encouraged, why? Because Christmas is just around the corner.
0: And at Christmas,
1: we're reminded of the one who was born in a manger, the God-man, the Lord Jesus, whom through his sacrifice enabled justice to be done, our penalty to be paid. And in doing so, God pours out his mercy on his people. Who are his people? Those who acknowledge before him their sins, say sorry, who offer up a sacrifice of a broken and repentant heart. The beauty of Christmas is that through Jesus we see God's mercy and justice balanced and displayed. What does God require from us this Christmas? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with Him. We're incapable of doing that on our own. So let me put it another way. What does God require from us this Christmas? To set our eyes on Jesus. To set our eyes on the Lord Jesus. To live for him. To grow in our love of him. And as we do that, guess what? We will grow in acting justly, loving mercy, because we're walking with him. The message of Micah is that God wants us to be devoted to him, just like he wanted Israel to be devoted to him, to have hearts that genuinely desire to follow him. And when we are, we will strive to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with him. We will care for the vulnerable in our community. As I've been writing this sermon, I've been reflecting. Who is in the greatest need in our community? Physically? Those who are sick? The elderly? Those who are struggling financially? Absolutely. Who is in the greatest need, though? Those who are most vulnerable? Spiritually, it's those who don't yet understand the gospel. Those who don't comprehend who Jesus is and what he has done. So this Christmas, can I encourage us to give the greatest gift of all, the Lord Jesus, to someone who doesn't yet know him. Over over Christmas and the New Year, there's going to be Luke's Gospels out in the foyer. They're free for you to take. Please take one. Read it with someone who doesn't yet know the Lord Jesus, begin building that relationship where things of eternal significance are brought out. There's this beautiful picture at the end of Micah where we see that God isn't bringing these charges against Israel to condemn them, no. Out of his compassion, he desires them to recognise their mistake and change. I'd like to finish tonight by reading that out. Micah seven eighteen to 20. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnants of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. We serve a God who is compassionate and merciful And who gives us time out of his mercy to change our behaviour. To come back to him. To repent. It's merciful. It's generous. It's kind. And a heart that is devoted to following him wants to share that mercy with those who don't yet have it. This Christmas can I encourage us to give the greatest gift of all to someone who doesn't yet know the Lord Jesus. And that is Jesus. Have that conversation. Build that relationship. A devoted follower of our great God wants to share that mercy with others. Let's do that. Let me pray. Lord God, help us, we cry now, to be your people. Give us eyes to see where we need to change and help us to come to you with broken, humble, repentant hearts. God, we need your help to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with you. Help us to share you with the most vulnerable, those who don't yet know you, so that they too might experience the incredible depths of your loving kindness and your undeserved mercy. We ask these things in your powerful name, Lord Jesus. Amen.